This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, speaking of change, breaking down classroom walls now. Modern flexible learning environments see students flow from one learning station to another. Senior researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research, Mohammed Alansari, is with us. Welcome back. Hi, Catherine. Good to see you again. Uh, great, and lovely to see you. What, with what parents can expect for their children's learning in a modern school layout? Has what's happened been back to the future in the 70s or is it a bit different? I was just going to say it feels like we're back to the 70s all of a sudden with the differences that now instead of calling them open class, open floor classes and so on, we just call them modern because it's now not before. And I think it's also because now we can get IKEA furniture in those spaces unlike before. So everyone is thinking, uh oh, it's modern, it's different, it's the new thing. But the, 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 the kind of the idea behind it is still the same. Let's break down the walls, let's have a larger set of students, let's en- enhance the whole inter-subject interaction, um, kids moving from one station to another, learning a lot of subjects at the same time, you know, so that, so, so the features of what took place in the 70s is still in this modern learning environment as a concept. What is different, apart from you know, the slidey doors, and if you remember the slidey doors, and you yep. just bang, and then one classroom, two classrooms were one, they are different, aren't they? They tend to have more breakout areas, and little quiet areas. And I think, what's the design of them typically? I think that's a good thing that we've learned from the 70s. And so I think when we reintroduce model learning environments now, we've learned that, hang on, we don't need to have them in the same group, in the same kind of space at, at all times. We need some quiet space. We need different um, transition kind of areas. We need stations. And so when you go to big schools where they can do a big model learning environment for up to 100, 120, you see different corners. They even colored differently. You see different stations. Now we have up to three teachers in a big space as opposed to one poor teacher running after 120 kids. You know, so I think we've learned. Um, But one thing i got to say is that we're still not there yet in terms of figuring out what's different about this and how do we make modern learning environments work this time. What was their rationale this time? Yep. Well, there's a, there's been a lot of debate on whether we want to introduce model learning environments again or not. Part of it is financial, uh, but the other part is that we've been thinking, can we challenge a traditional single-cell classroom teaching and learning practice? If we change that, would our outcomes change? Is the first one significant, though, and particularly when there was the big rebuild in Christchurch post-earthquake? Um, now there's a lot of old buildings that need dealing to. Mm. Without making it solely about that, is it a big financial driver that it is cheaper to build or upgrade buildings this way? To an extent, I I think so actually, but a big part of it is that also we wanted to think creatively Mm. about how do we utilise the space differently to enhance learning trajectories. And in what way does it, the theory go, in what way Mm. does it enhance it to not just be a line-up of desks in a classroom with one teacher? What's, what's, What's the upside. Um, Let let me actually start by saying this. One of the problems in this area is that we actually don't have a lot of large-scale studies that looked at what are some of the conditions that make model learning environments work and what are some of the conditions that don't make it work. So one of the things that we're doing this year is that for the first time we're carrying out the first national kind of survey of schools where we look at model learning environments in particular. And so stay tuned in July, we're going to be able to produce a report that looks at how do teachers across the board perceive model learning environments 
environments, what works and what doesn't work. Please, can I book you in for that when you're <laughs> You're on. Put it you're... in your diary. Thank you. <laughs> you're on. So there are pros and cons for moving towards modelling environments. And just like any other innovation, it depends on how schools make it work or not. And so, for example, when I move to a larger space, the downside is that you've got more students to manage and handle in the same amount of time. So you're getting less one-on-one time. Kids with exceptional needs might not get that level of support that they used to. Um, some kids with autism or um, disabilities might not get that level of support that they used to get. But then I, I think we also forget that there's a lot of things we've gained and not just lost. So now they've introduced two or three teachers in one space, we're able to divide st- groups of students again by cohort with different teachers. We also have a great deal of um, of fostering leadership and social skills more than before. Teachers can now, for the first time actually, can collaborate, they can share the workload, they can co-design, and so it's got its ups and downs. If you have them in separate cohorts with separate teachers, what's mm. the point of taking the wall away? Yeah. Are people being more inventive in that you might move between groups, say, or you might collaborate and put a group together for one exercise. Is that happening? Yep. And so it's exactly what you... But you're exactly right. It's the flexibility that modern learning environments offer that makes them attractive. The idea that I can, whenever I want to, put all 80 or 100 students together, but then for focused teaching, for instructional purposes, I can group them again into groups of 20s and 30s, carry out some classroom teaching, and then someone else will take over. What about noise? Oh, so that's been a big contention. Um, Some of the qualitative studies that I'm familiar with have talked about the students and teachers who are not happy with how things were going and the number one thing that pops up is noise. I can't focus, I can't concentrate and that's exactly why a lot of schools have now introduced um, breakout rooms in quiet corners if you want to think about them that way although I've been to some of them, they're not really that quiet still, they're kids you know and so it's it's one of those things that are still ongoing. Um, some of our teachers have said um, in response to that that the fact that even if it's a class of 30, if you've got noisy kids, they're noisy yeah. kids. They're just being kids. But you might have one group that's doing a raucous um, kind of um, put your hand up and yell the answer out sort yeah. of session and another that's doing, I don't know, quiet reading or meditation. And <laughs> is, yeah. You know, um, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. Imagine if, 60 kids putting their hands up at the same time wanting yeah. 60 different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, that's kind of the new challenge that people have to think about when it comes to modern learning environments. You see, what we know that good learning environments, large or small, often often characterise in three things. One, good relationships, high support, high expectations. Two, there needs to be a great deal of growth for those students. Are they learning? And three, good clarity of instruction, good management techniques by teachers to maximise learning time and to minimise disruption time. And that last part is the critical one in modern learning environments. How can teachers learn how to manage a larger space given all of what you just said, the noise, the distractions? It's a new thing for New Zealand teachers to think about and have to upskill in? 
You don't have the evidence of what the teachers think yet, do you? That's coming in July. Yep. Has there been some research done that's applicable? Well, some of the things that are out there at the moment, they're small-scale qualitative studies generally, and they talk about how teachers have shared the load um, to manage those larger spaces. And they also talk about how teachers have had to group students into smaller kind of sizes of 25 to 30 to teach them new systems, new rules. When might you move to a different station? When might you raise your hand up? They teach them about noise and social skills and then they put them in a larger space. So a lot of teachers have had to go above and beyond to start from the basics again to get those students up and running. You mentioned uh, earlier uh, um, a, a real issue, I imagine, is for those with learning difficulties, those mm. with hearing difficulties, That's neurodiverse right. students on the spectrum. That's right. That's right. Um, there's enough challenges for them. Is this flexible enough to accommodate them without isolating them? That's one area that we're really worried about and we're still kind of trying to learn more about it. So some schools that I've observed in the past have, um, in addition to the two teachers who would manage that larger space, they'd have a learning support staff or a teacher aide who would move around and look after those kids with exceptional needs and so on. But we still don't know how effective that is. Should there be more support? Do we need to put them in a single space or single cell classroom how do we integrate them with everyone else you know so I think those questions are still to be answered I'd say it's one of those challenges that we really have to think about as a result of drastically changing the way teaching and learning looks like today um, isn't it interesting well, we're back to the 70s it's we're the up back again. to the 70s but it's also who decides and based yeah. on what that's you know? yep I'd like to challenge all teachers and researchers to really think about the evidence behind this and to think about any innovation and ask one simple question, doesn't improve teaching and learning? Well, you know, your point earlier about the three essential points, it's John Hattie, isn't it, the New Zealand researcher now in Australia, That's exactly right. who says you can, put, you can put someone out in a desert with rocks to write on and a hundred <laughs> kids and if they're a good teacher, the kids will learn. That's exactly right. You know? But that doesn't mean we should make life harder for teachers who have already got plenty going on. And I guess the concern is, have we just done that? And mm. you're going to try and get the evidence now, but shouldn't we have had the evidence before we did it? I would like to think so. I think it was important for us to take a step back and think and learn from how we've done it in the past, look at all of the evidence and make calculated decisions about how can we maximise or get the most out of those larger spaces, given the pitfalls, because the pitfalls are quite critical as well, especially for all kids, I'd, I'd say. One of the other points of contention here is the fact that we are still training our teachers in initial, initial education programs to think about individual teacher practice and to think about single-cell traditional classrooms. After three to four years of training, or one year if it's a post-grad diploma and so on, we then put them in a completely different learning environment and they have to upskill again. The way that they react to it is actually what would make that space work or not. Have we changed our teacher training to accommodate the new ch the new situation? As far as I'm aware, we're not there yet. As far as I'm aware. <laughs> you so see, there's... they're the two magic mm. words, collaboration and technology. And we were talking about tech earlier with Peter. Yep. And we want it to assist learning. We're not talking about That's exactly gadgets right. to distract kids. Exactly. And one can see in the new open environments, individualised learning would be the third catchphrase. You know, can <laughs> you have kids off doing their thing in a bit of space, joining a group at an appropriate time, like 
can you have this sort of nirvana operator? Yep. Um, technology may be a factor in it. Yep. Um, and um, the um, individual learning programs may be a factor in it instead of the one size fits all. The class That's is exactly doing this right. right now. That's exactly right. So, the, again, these are the potential things. Yep. But uh, is the system working towards achieving them, optimising towards achieving them, or just hoping they happen. And I think that's the current challenge. I just want to second what you said. It's not the technology, it's how we use it. And in the same way, it's not the physical space, it's how we utilise it for the learning environment. The collaboration was the other word. And, and the collaboration, that's right. It that's would right. be nice that a kid wasn't in a class with a teacher they don't gel with for two years, or indeed the <laughs> teachers can't wait for them to move to the next class. It would be good to think again that perhaps yeah. there's a little bit of horses for courses, but these are all noble ideas. Mm. The reality and complexity of, of teaching today slash social work today, because yep. it's one and the same thing, Absolutely. is quite different. And again, you would like to think changes were made based on what those at the coalface, yep. pe- students, parents, teachers, mm-hmm. were saying worked. And we're trying to find that out soon in a survey, are we? Are you I surveying would like parents to think as well? So. Um, that's work in progress, but we have actually surveyed them in the past about their perceptions of learning environments. And their as perceptions well. are. Um, a lot of them are concerned. That's kind of there's a general tension because it's a different kind of space, different kind of teaching and learning. A lot of parents felt that they were not involved in, and they didn't have a say in terms of how was their child going to learn in school. And so there were a lot of questions raised, is which are similar to the questions that I would raise actually. Is this innovation better than a traditional learning environment? How do I know that my child is getting the same level of support? Um, do I need to do anything else differently at home to to complement what you guys do at school. And so I think, especially in model learning environments, parental involvement is key, so they're on the same page as us. It's that whole community involvement. If we want to create a sense of a whānau in our school, we got to bring their whānau to the school as well and make sure that everyone understands in what way we've changed teaching and learning to improve outcomes over time. Ben from Christchurch has emailed in. Every, Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Every <laughs> single one of my friends who works in education tells me these modern learning environments don't work. It's been a big thing down here in Christchurch post-quake, yep. we were just discussing, yep. with schools being rebuilt and therefore classrooms being configured differently. Often such spaces are the brain children of architects, not teachers. Mm-hmm. These environments don't, especially don't work for the kids who have any impulse control issues, ADHD, etc., because there is no continuity for these kids, just a frenzied and confused space with no spatial parameters. Yep. Uh, your guest stated there are no large-scale studies with regard to how teachers perceive them. Therefore, it's just a social experiment. Can you disagree? (laughs) I cannot disagree. (laughs) I echo the sentiments because if you just put a larger group of students without preparing them, without teaching them social skills and assuming that things will run like they were in a single cell class, of course they're not going to run. It's a different pedagogy. It's a different approach. And we need to make sure that our teachers are up to scale with it. We need to know the evidence behind it. And we need to know what are the conditions that would make it work. Otherwise, unfortunately, it will just be a waste of big investment. So I echo those sentiments. But again, I would challenge our teachers and parents to ask questions. Can we make this work? Um, and if so, what are the conditions? If not, do we go back to the drawing board? You know, all of those big questions, we need to sit down and really reflect on what they mean for us.
I'm just thinking how busy kids' lives are and how many distractions mm. they have in their lives already, you know. Yeah. Where do they get their reasonably quiet space? Um, mm. I have twins, says this emailer. One is an extrovert, a loud one. The other is a quiet <laughs> introvert. The former loves loud environments, even when working on quiet thinking tasks. The other can't bear loud, busy classrooms and is finding the modern layouts and class styles mm. difficult. Uh, one more modern learning classrooms. No thanks. It was a detrimental learning environment for my youngest son during his last year of primary school. He found it hard to focus and concentrate on tasks, even with access to breakout rooms and quiet spaces. Too busy, too noisy. Stop <laughs> experimenting on our kids this way. Mm. See, that goes back to what we were saying before. Don't just do things for the sake of doing things. Let's think about the rationale, a pedagogical, educational rationale behind it. You see, so I, yep, I, I hear them. I definitely hear them. Okay, we'll look forward to seeing your study and um, we'll be in touch when it comes out. It's really important. I think so too. And, and, I think and it's very one important. doesn't want to think that this was driven by trying to save money on buildings. One doesn't want to think that. Yeah. And I also want to emphasise that so far we have no studies that says modern learning environments are detrimental to student outcomes. As a result of putting students in studies. those environments, exactly, achievement is not going down. Yeah. And I'd like to think that it's also because we've got New Zealand teachers who are reflective, adaptive, who cater yep. to student needs, who go above and beyond, who work extra hours just to make sure that a new layout does not disadvantage but our kids. They're running out of the extra hours in their day. Exactly. For all this stuff, exactly and the other right. thing is we are learning, we are undoubtedly going through a very significant period of change on many fronts, mm. and there will be further changes to pedagogy, there will be further undoubtedly further changes to the way yep. children learn yep. um, and this is one part of it mm. um, there will be more and you'd like to think each positive new yep. opportunity were thoroughly assessed and then worked mm. together I've had, a co I've had a colleague who once told me that well if open floor plans work for adults why can't they work for kids and I disagreed and I said hang on but as adults, we've had the time to learn individually. We've had the time to develop social skills. We are independent thinkers and learners. We understand rules and expectations, unlike those kids, right? And so there needs to be time for us to transmit expectations, social skills. How do we act in different settings before we expect people to We're operate in those settings? We're also in charge settings. of our own destiny to some extent. If you this want to get up and right. go and have a coffee, yes, or go up and work in the corner room, or go and hide <laughs> somewhere no one can see you, Yep. We up and do it. You can't do that when you're a kid. No, you can't. <laughs> and by the way, it sounds like the open plan offices might be a thing of the past soon anyway. Ooh, don't get me started, Catherine. This is a different topic. <laughs> okay. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. Likewise. Thank you. Mohammed Alansari, Senior Researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research.